Well, let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the Psalms. We're going to be looking at part of Psalm 19 and part of Psalm 24 this morning. As I've been telling you over the last few weeks, most Bibles in the middle open it up and you can find the 150 Psalms. Psalms that uh, were written probably over the course of several, several, several hundred years. They were written by many different writers. They were meant to be sung. They were meant to be prayed. They were meant to be used in private and in the temple worship. They were poems and hymns uh, written by very creative and innovative people. And this morning, we have Psalm 19 that actually is divided into two hymns of praise to God. The first hymn addresses the revelation of God as seen in His created order, the beautiful world that we've just read about that God made in Genesis chapter 1. And then the second part, beginning with verse 7, celebrates the revelation of God by His Word, how God shows Himself and reveals Himself and teaches us by His Word. And then it ends in verse 14 with a concluding verse that basically says, may everything that I see and observe in the created order and in your word be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And then, of course, we're going to read part of Psalm 24, the first two verses that again celebrate God as the creator God. So let's begin. Psalm 19, follow with me as I read. And notice who is speaking in this text. It's not a human being. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Have you ever heard the heavens or the skies speak audible human words, language? Yet the psalmist is picturing uh, this proclamation, this declaration. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge speaking of the knowledge of God. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run it's his course. It rises at the end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. And then we have uh, verses 7 through, through 13 that celebrate the revelation of God through his word. And then in verse 14, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer. And then just a couple of psalms over, Psalm 24. Again, a psalm that in the first part celebrates this Creator God. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. May God add His blessings to the reading to the hearing, and to the doing of His Holy Word. 
Well, it's hard for me to believe that this coming summer, it will have been 19 years since our family took an across-country three-and-a-half to four-week trip driving from the East Coast to the West Coast by car and points in between. That was about 9,600 miles, as I recall, and I believe it was 168 hours in the car. A lot of family togetherness with a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old at the time, and Leslie and me. But we saw some beautiful sights, and many of you have seen these sights as well. We saw the Rocky Mountains. We saw Yellowstone National Park. We saw the glorious, breathtaking shoreline of the Pacific Ocean. We saw the splendor of Bryce Canyon in Utah. And we saw the vast, unspeakable, voiceless glory of a scene that you just saw just a moment ago called the Grand Canyon. I remember that we visited the Grand Canyon at the North Rim. We did not go to the South Rim. We went to the North Rim. And I'll never forget seeing it for the first time. There was this light drizzle of rain that was occurring, and there was a guest lodge that uh, you could check into. And, and I remember walking into the guest lodge, and there was just this tremendous glass window on the back side of that glass lodge. And that was where I first saw through that gigantic window that swept across that lobby. I saw the colors that represent the entire rainbow in that Grand Canyon. I was speechless. All I could do for probably the first three or four minutes is my mouth fell open and I'm sure the jaw bounced off the ground a couple of times looking at that Grand Canyon. As we visited the various overlooks of the Grand Canyon, I remember noticing people's responses to that sight. People spoke softly, almost as if they were in a worship service. Many of them whispered as they hovered over the canyon as if they were in the very presence of God. There were a lot of people like me who just stood there in silence and said nothing, as if all struck in such a way that we were all too awestruck to absorb and make sense of this beautiful sight that we were viewing. For me personally, it was a profound experience of being in the presence of the Creator God in a way that I never had before. At one of the canyon overlooks, I recall walking up on a young couple. To this day, I, I don't know if they were husband and wife. I don't know if they were brother and sister. I don't know if there were some other kind of family connection. Or maybe they were just friends. I remember hearing the young man. This was one case where there was more than a whisper that was going on at the Grand Canyon. I remember hearing the young man in a loud, argumentative tone pressing his case with this young lady like a prosecuting attorney. He asked her several times, how can you say that there isn't a God and that God didn't create this beautiful sight? After a few moments of what seemed to me to be angry silence, she turned to the young man and she said, it's easy. 
God didn't have anything to do with this. God didn't create this canyon. There is a perfect scientific explanation for it, and God doesn't have a thing to do with it. The young man kept exclaiming, as the young lady would make these individual statements, he kept exclaiming over and over, but how can you say that? Disbelieving every word that she said. It was said in such a loud voice that obviously I couldn't help but overhear the conversation. And I remember thinking to myself about many of the verses that we have read this morning from Genesis, Psalm 19, Psalm 24, Romans chapter 1, which affirm that God indeed can be known and He can be sensed through His created order. And I found myself internally echoing the frustrated words of this young man. How in the world can you say that there's, that there's no God looking at this beautiful sight? You know, one of the great philosophical arguments which purportedly proves the existence of God is called the argument from design. It says that the world and its objects have been designed. And therefore, the world must have a designer, capital D. Since it requires immense power and immense intelligence to design the world, that designer merits the name God. That's the argument in its simplest form. Now, many philosophers find this argument to be unsound in proving the existence of God for, for a variety of reasons. But you know, for people of faith... Proving God's existence is not the issue. For God's reality is found for us not in constructing sound, logical, philosophical arguments, but God's reality is found in how He has loved me in my sin. God's reality is found in how He has transformed and changed my life through what Jesus has done on the cross for you and for me. You know, the psalmist would never say that looking at God's created order is going to prove that God exists. The psalmist assumes, the psalmist assumes that God exists. So this hymn of praise in Psalm 19 is meant to celebrate the majesty of a God who created this world in splendor, and it serves to remind you and me that God wants to have a place in our lives. Not only did God create us, but He wants to have a place, and He wants to use us in this world. But the psalmist reminds us in Psalm 19 that the created world is a voiceless witness to Himself. The text says that the heavens are telling the glory of God. It says that day to day, that God is speaking through His created order, that speech is pouring forth, but there are no words. There's not an audible voice. And yet, we hear in a definitive way a witness of God's power, of God's presence, of His action in the world and through His created order. You know, when I stood almost 19 years ago, in the presence of that Grand Canyon as a person of faith, I got to tell you, God's voice 
erupted for me in a strangely powerful and personal way. Not with conclusive proofs of his existence, but gloriously reminding me that if he could create this beautiful world out of nothing, we call that creation ex nihilo, creation out of nothing, then he could take the nothingness of my life and make something beautiful out of it. I understand, the longer I live, why Jesus spent so much time by the Sea of Galilee or going up to the mountains when he wanted to be alone with God and in his presence. Because you know what? There is that draw. There is that magnet. That is that inner calling that drives the human spirit to search for God when we encounter him in the magnificence of his creation. I'm always fascinated when I talk to people who like to hunt and who like to fish and who like to play golf. Because inevitably, I'll ask them, well, did you get anything today? Did you, did you, did you bag a game? Did you, did you bring back a fish? Did you, did you make par? And often they'll say, well, you know, I just sat on that boat all day long. Didn't catch a thing. I went hunting, sat up in that deer stand all day long. Didn't, didn't see a deer. Went out on that golf course and, and man, I, I just shot the worst round of golf that could ever be played. But I sure did enjoy being outside. There's something about taking that jog, taking that walk. Why do you think all the folks up in Washington, D.C., Northern Virginia and above are out in the snow when public safety officials have said stay indoors because there's something in the human spirit that drives you and me to connect with God in His beautiful created order. But you know Psalms 19, Psalms 24, Romans 1 remind us that it's a voiceless sound. It's a voiceless sound that ironically becomes the voice that says to you and to me, God's real. And as verse 4 of Psalm 19 says, it goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. There may be some of you today who are struggling with who God is. You may have some, some understandable and some realistic intellectual doubts about is there really a God? There may be some of you who are struggling not only with who God is, but with who you are. There may be some of you who are struggling with what God wants you to do with your life. I don't know about you, but I've discovered through the years that a sustained jog, run, or a walk in God's beautiful creation goes a long way in reminding me that the God who ordered the universe out of chaos and out of nothingness is the same God who can take my personal chaos and my personal nothingness and transform it into order and into purpose and into direction. By the way, the girl on the edge of the canyon unshakable in her belief that God didn't have anything to do with that magnificent sight. 
I have to confess to you, I couldn't resist. I finished all the looking I wanted to do. They were still in argumentative fashion with each other. I started to walk away, head back to the car, and when I got to them, I just paused for a moment, and I looked at her, and I said, I vote with him. Let's pray together. God, sometimes we just take your beautiful world for granted. We forget, God, that in the opening chapters of Genesis, you simply just spoke the word, and it happened. And that is quite a creator God in action. And we thank you for what you have made for us to enjoy. We thank you, God, for what you have made for us, that you have placed us uh, with the responsibility of caring for it. We pray, God, that we would be good stewards of all of life, and especially this environment, this created order that you've given us. We ask, Father, that you would give us those moments when we might walk outside at night and just look up at the stars and the moon and give you thanks. We pray, God, that when the leaves change, that we would have a moment just to pause and notice the beauty of what is occurring before our very eyes. When the snow falls, Lord, we thank you for the glorious creation that erupts and just the opportunity to be in it. When we have that opportunity, God, to go to those mountains or to go to that, to that seashore, walk on that sand, hear the the roar of the waves, fill the water. God, we pray that we would pause in a moment of worship and be reminded that you are the creator God. Lord, in those moments when we doubt who you are and what you're about, take us back to your creation and center us in the beauty of it, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Well, friends, we're going to sing this morning, number 147, How Great Thou Art. That reminds us in part that God does show us His greatness through His created order. And as we sing this grand hymn, I want to invite you to think about where you are with God this morning. If there's anyone here who has never made that first-time decision to become a follower of Christ, maybe you have been going through a difficult time in your faith. And this is a moment in which you feel God's calling you back to reconnect with Him. He's inviting you to recommit your life to His purposes in this world. You may have been through our membership class, Oakmont 101, and you're now ready to become a part of the Oakmont Church family, or you want to go back and leave a prayer request at the prayer stations, or pray with one of our ministers. So as God leads you, I hope you'll give evidence in some shape, form, or fashion to whatever uh, God has spoken to you by His Spirit. So let's stand and let's sing together our hymn.